powerful story. I'm going to come back to her in a moment. But as I was saying, these kinds of abuse, verbal abuse, controlling behavior, spiritual abuse. So negativity can come in many different ways. It could be a one-off or it could be an ongoing thing in your life. So how do we handle this? You know, so many times we just feel like running away or we feel like screaming or exploding or just giving up. But how do we handle this in a way that actually gives us hope and that gives us strength and that gives us the ability to make the most of our lives the way that um, we saw Lizzie had done? The Bible gives us a Christ-centered worldview, a way of dealing with negativity in a way that brings us hope and healing and freedom. So I want us to look at that worldview today. In your white Bibles, if you turn to page 980, it's 1 Peter chapter 3 for those of you online. Um, James, for some reason, it's not working today, my clicker. So if you could just go to the next slide, thank you. Maybe it's out of battery. Um, yeah, it works now? Okay. So 1 Peter chapter 3. Yeah, verses 8 and 9. This is page 980, 980 in your white Bibles in, in front of you. Now, this is what it says. It says, finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do and he will grant you his blessing. And then jump to verse 14. But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Now, some of you might be feeling, uh, thinking to yourselves, well, that sounds nice, but it's not really possible. Is, 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 this, is this the real world that we live in to, to love each other and to you know, be tenderhearted and to pay back evil with blessing? I want to tell you a little bit about the person who wrote this, and I think that'll help us understand whether this is really possible. The author of this letter, 1 Peter, was one of the disciples of Jesus. And Peter was a fisherman by trade, and he had a very impulsive, fiery nature. Right? He was always the quick to be the first one to be at action. He was always the first to get angry. He was you know, the one that kind of hustled, huffed and puffed whenever anyone came to criticize Jesus, which was every day. So when the tax collectors came and said, your teacher doesn't pay taxes, huh? He would say, of course he does. And then he's like, Jesus, do we, do we pay taxes? Right? Or the Jewish leaders would come and say, hey, why does your teacher hang out with prostitutes and scam artists? And, and he would hustle and bustle and get righteous indignation. And he would say, well, you know, they're not that bad. Or he would say, well, what about you? Or he would, just, he would, he would get frustrated. Whenever the Roman soldiers who were always there... Um, you know, kind of made Peter carry things that they didn't want to carry, he would get angry and he would almost get arrested. That's the kind of man Peter was, a man of temper, a man of pride. And you can imagine that because 
he faced so much criticism for following Jesus and because Jesus faced so much criticism that he would get offended and he would get upset. And so Peter goes to Jesus and asks, Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone? Seven times? Right? How many times do I have to put up with the same thing over and over again from the same people? And he thinks he's being quite generous by saying, Jesus, I'm willing to forgive up to seven times. And Jesus says, no, Peter, not seven times, but 70 times seven. When Jesus told Peter with great love that Peter, that Peter was actually going to deny Jesus three times, he said, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And again, Peter huffs and puffs and says, no, I will not. He says, even if all others betray you, I will never betray you, Jesus. And when Jesus talks about how he's going to be crucified, Peter is so upset because he doesn't like negativity. So he says, Jesus, stop talking such negative things. He says, don't talk about that. That will never happen. We're never going to let that happen. Of course, when they do come to arrest Jesus, Peter is the first to bring out his sword and he swings and he misses a whole lot of people and ends up cutting off the ear of his little servant. Um, not who he was intending it for at all. And Jesus has to heal that servant's ear. And the moment Peter realizes that Jesus is not going to fight and he's actually going to get arrested, Peter and the rest of the disciples run away. After a little bit, he, he wants to know what's happening. He's concerned, so he kind of follows Jesus back into where Jesus was arrested and been taken without due process into the high priest's house. And Peter goes in, and it's cold night. And so he goes in to kind of warm himself near a fire. There's a coal fire burning. And as he's standing there, someone says, Hey, aren't you one of his followers? Peter's afraid. What kind of negative impact... He's, he's, it's going to have on him if, if they find out he's a follower when Jesus has been arrested. So he says, no, I'm not. I'm not, a, I'm not his follower. A little bit later, he's still kind of lingering around trying to figure out what's happening to Jesus. And someone else says, hey, you, you, I think you're one of his followers. And Peter says again, no, it's not me. I'm not his follower. I, I don't know what you're talking about. More hours pass. And finally, someone recognizes him. Aren't you the one who coughed my ear? Aren't you the one who was with that, with, that, with that company? And at that point, Peter says, starts swearing and says, I don't even know the man. And as he, those words are coming out of his mouth, the rooster crows and Peter catches across the courtyard, Jesus looking at him. The Bible said that Jesus looked at him in that very moment into his eyes. Eyes of love and compassion. And Peter's heart was torn in two. And the Bible says he left weeping. He left weeping. Can you imagine how Peter felt when Jesus was crucified? Peter doesn't even dare go near him because he's so ashamed of himself. So he cries from a distance, knowing that Jesus is dying. Can you imagine how Peter felt when he heard the news? Jesus has died. They've put him in the tomb. That his last encounter with Jesus had been one of betrayal. And can you imagine how Peter felt a few days later when 
Some women come running excitedly and say, Jesus is alive. And Peter, the angel told us to tell you specifically by name. The angel said, tell the disciples and Peter that he is alive. Can you imagine how Peter felt knowing that he had been forgiven and that the price of his betrayal had been paid on the cross? And Peter realizes the lesson that we all have to learn. It's like they're trying to hurt you only. They are what I like to think of as porcupines. They, they, they hurt because they have quills. They have uh, pain in their lives, and so then they uh, exude pain that, that hurt other people. It's a saying that hurt people hurt people. And the idea is that we're all broken, and some are more broken than others, right? And because they're so broken, they have sharp edges, and so when you try to pick them up or get close to them, it hurts you because they have those sharp edges. So it's not a personal thing. And it, it, there is a process to their brokenness. And, you know, the healing and the restoration takes time and takes so much that maybe they're not able to have in their lives. You know, the man who came here two weeks ago and disrupted our service is clearly somebody who needs healing in his life. I don't know what his life story is, but... I can tell he's someone that has brokenness in his heart. And to be honest, we're all broken. We're all broken. Right? Some of us are more broken than others, but we are all broken. And so it's important, Peter says, to keep humility, to stay humble, to realize that we have all hurt other people. Maybe not intentionally and maybe not to the same capacity as the way others have hurt us, but we've all talked about people behind their backs. We've all had negative thoughts about people in our heads. We've all had unkind feelings towards others. And so have some humility. Have some humility. And rather than judging the person who is negative, break the cycle of negativity. The buck stops with you. You can be the one to stop the cycle of negativity that is in this world. That when they you know, do something that you push back and it just keeps going. But to actually say, stop, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to try to understand your perspective. I'm going to, to realize that I'm not perfect either. To realize that we have that responsibility, that God has called us to have this kind of mind and attitude. You know, the young lady that we saw in the beginning, Lizzie, who has that syndrome that uh, makes it impossible for her to gain weight that um, makes her very fragile and obviously impacts her appearance, um, which has led to all the bullying. She had said in the video that she decided to use all the negativity as a ladder to achieve her goals. That, in, that she had that choice, you know, when that YouTube video of her as the ugliest woman, you know, when 4 million views, when she, can you imagine, she wasn't looking for it. She just randomly found it and she, it was her. And when she went through that experience, she... She wanted to fight back, but she decided, you know what? I'm not going to get into that. And she chose instead to push and fuel her life into something positive. She didn't let the negativity define who she was. She talked about how her, her, her um, parents had told her when, when she went to school for the first time, she didn't know she was different. And she went to school and 
everyone treated her like a monster. And that was the first time she thought, what's wrong with me? And she came home and she told her parents about it. And her parents told her, you know what? They said, we want you. You are not who other people see you as. And they said, we want you to go back to school with your head held high, smile, and be nice to everyone no matter how they treat you. And she said, that's what I did every day. And she says that she has forgiven the person who posted that horrible YouTube video. And this is what she says about them. She says, I don't know what they're going through. While my life may be hard at times, they could be going through something much worse. See, she's, she's practicing that empathy of saying, you know what, I don't know the other person's story. And she's choosing to forgive. And of course it hurt her. But that was a choice that she made to be able to be free from the negativity. In order for us to, oopsie, uh, in order for us to be able to move on from the negativity that, that has been given to us, right? We want to stop the cycle. That means we have to actually dig a little deep inside. We have to be able to identify the lie. For her, it was the lie that she was the world's ugliest person, and she, and that because of that, she should go and, and kill herself, as the video's uh, comments suggested. But she had to tell herself, no, is it true that I don't, I don't deserve to live because I have this syndrome and because I am, you know, ugly in their eyes, right? Is it true that, um, that I am the ugliest person? Is it true that my, my worth and my, my value is determined by that? You see, in the process of trying to put the negativity into perspective, we have to make sure that the lies don't stick with us. The lies are very, very subtle, because Satan doesn't want us to experience a joyful life. And so he, he puts so many lies around us all the time. And we buy into them so easily. But Jesus said the truth will set you free. So in order for us to be free, we have to really identify the lie so that we can then embrace the truth. What is the lie that Satan wants me to believe? That whatever the negative person thinks of me is actually true. That I'm not good enough that I'm not smart enough, that I failed somehow, that my re reputation will be ruined. You have to ask God in prayer, what lie has Satan placed in my heart? Two weeks ago when that gentleman, you know, came and went, and, um, you know, I found myself, you know, being sad and, 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 and you know, feeling hurt about it as I, as I reflected during the week. I, I was surprised because... You know, I don't believe anything the man said. I don't believe that women shouldn't be pastors, obviously. And I don't believe that our church is not following the Bible. And I don't believe that um, I should be ashamed of myself. So I don't believe any of the things he said to me. And yet, why was I so uh, hurt? And why was I so sad every time I thought about it? And so then I went in prayer and I asked God, God, what is the lie that Satan has implanted in my heart? What have I subtly bought into that's causing me this pain? And God impressed on me that the lie that I had, I had embraced without realizing it is the lie that I was weak. Because I felt vulnerable, because, you know, I was scared, because I had cried, I felt weak. But was I weak? Is it the truth that I'm weak because I experienced those feelings? After I realized what the lie was, I asked God to tell me the truth. I asked him, I feel weak, and I feel like people think I'm weak, but what do you think of me? We always have to ask God, what do you think of me? 
And the Bible tells us exactly what God thinks of us. In Isaiah 43, I've, I, this is one of my favorite passages. I've quoted it before. This is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. As I ask God in prayer, God, I feel weak. And the lie that Satan wants me to believe is that I am weak. But what is the truth? And God impressed me that Bible verse that says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Because God is with me. It's so easy for us to believe the lies that come with, packaged with the negativity that gets thrown at us. But it's so important for us through prayer and through the word, be able to identify the lie and then embrace the truth of what God really sees. God's word says that we have value and purpose and identity that is not defined by what people say or do, or even what we say or do. I, I love Lizzie's testimony, but she says, you know, she's going to let her definition be by what she achieves. And, and I think that is good. But I want to also challenge us to think that our definition is not only what we do or don't do, but it's because of who we are in God. It's because we belong to him. God has called each one of us to a very specific purpose in life. And if you're not really sure what that is, um, in two weeks, I'm going to be preaching about God's call and spiritual gifts. And we're going to help, uh, help you discover what your spiritual gifts are and how we can use them for the community. Because community matters. You know, in the video, um, Lizzie talked about how she has this incredible support network. And we all need that. <laughs> Sorry, James. Kaka's not listening to me today. Let me go back. There you go. Um, community matters. A community that doesn't judge you, but values you as equal and worthy and created in the image of God. One that sees the best in you and supports you through difficult times. And one that treats you that way that you would like to be treated. Perhaps you have such a community in your family or with your friends, but I hope you can also find that community here at our church. I was so touched, you know, two weeks ago when when that incident happened, the way that this church community rallied together to support me and Roy. Some of you, um, it, it was interesting because I'm the only one who can see all of you. <laughs> so when that happened, I could see all of your faces. And, you know, not only was I shocked, but I could tell all of you were shocked. And you, all of you were upset and all of you were kind of wondering, you know, and I could, you know, some of you came up or, or hugged and affirmed me personally. But even if you didn't, I could tell from your eyes, you know, I could feel the love, I could feel the support. And I was so grateful for that. I'm so grateful for this church community that supports us through difficult times. My mom often sends me videos and links to things that she thinks are interesting or, or um, inspirational. And sometimes I ignore them because she sends so many. But I happened to click on this one um, that she sent me this week, actually. And it's about these redwood trees in California. My parents are from California. And um, redwood trees are amongst the oldest living organisms in the world. They live for thousands of years. And they grow to be over 100 meters tall, which is actually, I looked it up, taller than this building. 
So can you imagine? Um, we're on the 10th floor. This building has 26 floors and two base, like two floors below, and it's taller than this entire building. One would expect such lofty trees to have deep roots, but actually the roots only go down one meter to maximum two meters. So how is it that they're able to stand so strong and withstand all the elements? Well, it turns out that these redwood trees, they only go down one meter to two meters, but then they extend 30 meters out. And they intertwine with one another to support each other. You get the idea. In order for us to be able to grow to our full potential, we need each other. We need each other's support. We need each other's prayers. We need each other's encouragement and affirmation. We need each other to challenge us. So let's put down our pride and let each other in. Let's put down our fears and let each other in. Let's hold each other up so that we can live the good life, the best life that God has called us to. And that is, if you go back to the, the passage in First Peter, which is ni- page 980 and also in the slide, um, in First Peter chapter 3, do you remember this passage? It says, even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. You see, the good life that we get to live is possible because we belong to Christ. When you worship Christ as the Lord of your life, your identity, your worth, your purpose is on solid ground, unshakable by the fickle standards of society. It's not just a segment of your life, but it's, it's your entire life. You know, I call the good life the God life, the God-centered life, the life that actually worships God in all areas of your life, a life that God blesses with rewards that are far better than money or position or popularity. Two weeks ago, after I managed to finish the sermon, <laughs> got through it, got through the service, and God gave me this reward. Someone came up to me and said, that day, after that you know, very disruptive service, I want to get baptized. And I was a bit like surprised. Oh, okay. And um, the person, yeah, took, you know, I got to hear their story. And the person said, yeah, I want to get baptized. And baptism is basically this, this um, symbolic public declaration that you, you believe that Jesus has forgiven you of your sins and you accept his death on your behalf. And you want to live now a life in relationship with him. And when this person said, I want to get baptized and, and she wants to make this commitment, it was the greatest blessing and reward. And it came on the day that... Um, I needed it most. You see, when we, when we live out God's call for our lives, God gives us blessings and rewards that this world can't give us. And we're so excited because now we have five people preparing for baptism this year. Um, and so we're very excited and we're very grateful. You know, at the end of all this process, so you've you know, tried to understand the other person, you've, you've tried to keep humble, you have identified the lie, you've uh, embraced the truth of what, who you are in God, you have reached out to your support network. At the end of all that, 
there's something crucial that needs to happen in order for that negativity to truly, for you to be truly free from that negativity. And that is forgiveness, if I can get to it. Forgiveness releases not just the person who owes you the debt, but it releases you from the imprisonment and the bitterness. They saved others, they scoff, but he can't save himself. So he's the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and then we'll believe in him. He trusted God, so let him rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. Even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. And how did Jesus respond to all this negativity? To swim, you know, he pulls out the net. He counts 153 fish. You know, he's, he just wants to do things to make things right. Which is sometimes what we do. When we want to be made right with God, we, or you know, after something has happened, we, we think, okay, well, I'll just serve God better and, and with more effort, and, and that's going to make me right. But that's not what makes us right with God. It's more action and more doing is not what is needed. Notice that Jesus does something unexpected. Jesus builds a coal fire. You know the last time Peter had been over a coal fire? was when he was saying he didn't know Jesus, and Jesus looked right at him. Remember that? So there's that coal fire, and Simon is sitting there, and Jesus is making him breakfast over it. And it brings back the memory of that night, that horrible night when he had hurt Jesus so much. And at that very awkward breakfast, this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And Jesus said to him, follow me. asked Peter three times whether he loved him. Because Peter had denied him three times. He wants Peter to know that he is completely forgiven. And he wants Peter to know he's also perfectly able to lead his people. Now, as someone who understands the meaning of grace. Now, as someone who understands the meaning of love. Now, as someone who understands the meaning of humility. Jesus makes it clear that Peter will face more negativity in his life. He makes it clear, you're going you're gonna to die for me. But this time, Peter isn't afraid. And Peter is willing to follow him. Because the coals of fire that used to be the coals of shame are now the coals of grace. And that is why Peter is able to write his letter to the early Christians saying things like, love one another, forgive each other. And I want to leave you with Peter's last words in his letter to all of us. He says, And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. 
Amen. I pray that whatever negativity that you are facing in your life, that the God of all grace will restore you and use that negativity as fuel and the coals of grace to help you become the strong, steadfast follower of Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive us for the ways that we have hurt others and the ways that we have hurt you. And forgive us for not being willing to forgive, for wanting mercy but not wanting to extend it to others. And Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit and through your power, we would be able to love our enemies, to turn the negativity in our lives into fuel for the coals of fire of grace. And Father, you have promised to bless us that when we follow you, that there is a reward that is far greater than retaliation. Help us to trust in your justice, to help in your way of love, that love does conquer all. And so, Father, um, as we go into the exchange and as we continue discussing this, I pray for your wisdom and for your guidance. I pray in your son's name. Amen.